Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series dedicated to helping all of us talk more openly about money. Each show features a special guest who will share with you one of their favorite money myths. Then together, we will discuss how to bust this myth wide open. My name is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and I'm your host. My company is KBK Wealth Connection, and it's committed to helping women, couples, families, and their financial teams shatter money taboos and learn how to effectively talk about money. It is a great honor today to be joined by Michael Kay. Michael Kay is the president of Financial Life Focus, a fee-only multi-advisor financial life planning firm, and the author of the soon-to-be-released book, The Feel Rich Project. It's going to be officially published in June of 2016, and I happen to know, because I'm currently uh, reading a copy, that you can pre-order it on Amazon. He also wrote The Business of Life. He and his financial advice have been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fox Business, Forbes, and Psychology Today. Through his books, workshops, speeches, and client base, he's helped thousands of women, men, families master their financial lives. And interestingly enough, he's a former trumpet player and lives in West Orange, New Jersey. Welcome, Michael, to the call. Thank you, Kathleen. It's, it's, it's a great honor to be here and uh, speak with you today. Uh, your you know, reputation in the uh, financial world is just spectacular and uh, a personal hero. Oh, thank you very much. I was just going to say, every time we have a conversation, I, I really enjoy our conversation. So the fact that we get to kind of share it today with the listeners will be exciting. Um, you have a really interesting money myth. Um, do you want to share it with the audience and then we can kind of dive right in and find out a little bit more about it? Sure. I think the, the uh, to me, the biggest money myth that seems to continually replay uh, in my years working with clients has been this idea that you are a prisoner of your money history. And uh, that seems to be uh, this recurrent theme that, well, this is what I grew up hearing, believing, this was my normal. Therefore, anything that deviates that can absolutely rock my world and uh, not in necessarily the best way. It, what's so intriguing about that is certainly um, anybody who's followed my work knows I talk about money histories and money mindsets. And, you know, a, as anyone like yourself who who specializes not only in the concrete financial aspects, but also the money psychology piece. Um, but can you explain a little bit more as to, uh, you know, how this particular myth impacts either your clients or yourself? So someone on the line that might, you know, have not heard about money histories uh, could understand it a little bit more? Okay, well, think about it this way. If we if we think back to our early uh, memories of what did we learn growing up? What what were those messages that either we heard or we experienced? Things uh, such as, uh, you know, all rich people are greedy, or uh, it, it's important to show everyone that you're successful, uh, or um, you know, don't or, or you know, there are, those are those are messages that might be uh, negatively impactful, or there could be those that are positively impactful, such as uh, make sure you have uh, you've saved before you spend. But the the people who come in with difficulty usually have an experience that creates an action uh, that doesn't really help them forward their values. So 
I can I can kind of get, relate this in a in a very personal way. Uh, growing up, my, my parents, uh, my father was 11 years older than my mother, and he grew up in the Depression. And therefore, when it came to the idea of spending, that was a very difficult thing for him to do. Uh, while my mother, being 11 years younger, not that she grew up in any way, shape, or form uh, with wealth, but her experience was different. She didn't experience the Depression. So therefore... Money was used for show. Money was show your show that you're successful. So I grew up seeing a lot of conflict around money growing up, and it left me until I kind of figured it out that um, you know, which is it was both my normal, but the idea that money equals conflict. So until I kind of pulled it apart and reassembled it to something that was meaningful, I realized that there, that those money messages, that that money history was a result of, of their experiences growing up. And of course, that's what their normal was. So that's what they showed to their children. So it's something that I see constantly with clients who, who uh, uh, come in and talk about their experiences growing up, whether uh, they had difficulty whether – and you typically see it when you see someone who has a lot of debt or who has problems saving or who's feeling conflicted about their goals, their values. Uh, it usually stems from that money history that kind of locks them into uh, a belief and an action that is difficult for them to break, through, break free of, especially since questioning what's normal – is difficult for many people. Well, and what's interesting about the example you gave with your parents is it is often a source of tension, uh, various different extremes for couples, because there's no way you can end up partnering with someone who has the exact same money history. And so the idea that your money history and your partner's money history might conflict uh, makes sense, and then it becomes kind of, what do you do about it? Um, But it's interesting to me because you know, the way we think about money history is it develops, you know, certain thoughts and beliefs about money. And then what you said is then you really felt like then money was a source of conflict. Uh, Flash forward, you're writing books uh, in the financial world. You're the president of Financial Life Focus. So tell me, you must have worked through that unless you really, really love conflict. (laughs) This will be a very interesting podcast if that's the case. (laughs) No, it was really something that uh, it took me uh, years of, of, uh, really kind of pulling it apart and uh, uh, having an inner practice that really helped me see it and understand it Um, and uh, to a point where uh, I was able to kind of separate out and go, you know, people's beliefs, uh, they carry it with them and that's how they act. And if you look back, if anyone looks back at their their family history where there's conflict, it it, it comes from their own experience, the experiences that they had. So it's more that understanding of, okay, that was what they went through and it evolved or it became this type of behavior. So understanding that, say, oh, okay, I understand why my father was the way he was because he grew up in the depression. He grew up not knowing if they were going to have to find a new apartment the next month or whatever. And uh, his mother was out, uh, was a single mother, was out working uh, and it, and it was very stressful and very difficult. Uh, so therefore, I could understand his fear. I could understand my, the fact that my mother didn't have the same fear. But the two of them, I could understand that as an adult. 
But as a child, I didn't understand it. And certainly, they didn't understand it. But what it helped me really do is become more sensitive to uh, what people are going through. And I see it very frequently when we go through some money history exercises here in the office and see, all of a sudden, you'll see one spouse look at the other and kind of like, wow, I didn't know that. Um, and, it, and it opens up conversation and it opens up compassion. Uh, and, and that level of understanding, I think, is so important for breaking free of this, you know, this kind of uh, controlling and, uh, and demanding life that we, you know, that we pack ourselves into because of our beliefs. So it becomes really freeing, especially when you see kind of that light bulb go off and it's really ex- it's exhilarating and it's uh, empowering. Well, and what's interesting is when you're in the field of coaching, and you've probably heard this yourself, but in the field of coaching, they talk about, um, well, that's an old story you tell yourself. And I can remember when um, I was in my own coaching and, and every once in a while I'd come up with something, whether it was around money or something else, and they'd be like, oh, that's just an old story. You know, you can recreate a new story. And I remember at first feeling like, no, I can't. (laughs) And then realizing, wait a second, you know, we all have a money history. Our parents have a money history and so on. But that um, we aren't prisoners of it is so powerful because um, a lot of times I think people do feel like, well, it's always been this way. So it's going to be that way. Um, Before we move on to how do you bust through this and how do you break out of the prison? I'm curious, is there any way in which you see this particular thought you are a prisoner of your money history as something that may actually help somebody. Because I'm truly of the belief that no matter where what we're thinking around money, there is a little piece of it that usually helps us, even if it gets in the way. So how might this help? I know, interesting question, huh? Very interesting question. Um, I, I think the level of self-awareness, um, that level of kind of tracking back uh, kind of like, you know, think about, you know, going out for a hike and walking through uh, not very well-worn paths and kind of rediscovering anew. Oh, I, I, I was here before. Um, I remember this path. I remember uh, these things and noticing, noticing your actions and noticing your reactions and being able to assess, I think, whether it was helpful in uh, or supportive in living to your highest values, or it was not. And I think when we get the chance to revisit, we have the opportunity to uh, not blame, but to observe. And that observance without judgment becomes a, a really good learning and fortifying experience. It's growing. It's, it's growth-oriented. Uh, it opens up one's mindset towards being able to look at uh, our, ourselves uh, and understanding what what path we've taken and the difficulties that we have overcome and that are and, and trying to overcome. So I think it adds to our resilience. I think it adds to uh, our our own stories, our own experiences that we get to pass down to our children uh, and our families that uh, hopefully add to the richness of of uh, what life is and. Uh, building resilience for for ourselves and for others to see. So I, I think that that I think that can be really helpful. 
uh, understanding and understanding, forgiving, uh, learning from. So all those things I think are, are, are big net positives. Well, and I love the hiking analogy. Uh, of course, living in Vermont, um, you know, I, I hike. I wouldn't say I'm a big hiker because that wouldn't be necessarily true, but I do hike a lot. Otherwise, I'd be left out. Uh, <laughs> and so there's this one path called, uh, or one trail called Burnt Rock. And I'm thinking of it, it's like, you know, as I hike up, I have a money, I have a mindset, not a money mindset, but I have a mindset that I'm not a good hiker. So the first time I hike up, I have this experience uh, and it's okay, I survive, I, I get through it. I'm pretty proud of myself when I'm done. The second time I hike, I may be noticing things like you're saying that, oh, I've been here before, whatever, but I still have the mindset that I'm not a great hiker. And so I even tell my friends, I'm not a great hiker. So as I'm going through and thinking about if I stayed a prisoner in that mindset of I'm not a good hiker, then I'll, in some ways it's comforting because it really takes the pressure off. I don't have to be the first one up. I don't have to be super fit. Um, and it actually is comforting. So I'm wondering if, if somebody had the thought, you're a prisoner of your own money history, and you really like believed in that, you didn't think it was a myth. In some ways, that's comforting because you don't have to change. But what you're highlighting, Michael, is the importance of then uncovering what's there, not observing it, which is a great word, not judging it, and then deciding, mm, is this the path I want to take? So... Um, I'm feeling like I'm telling everybody, and I might actually have to try this, that the next time that I hike Burnt Rock, I should go, I'm a decent hiker. I'm a decent hiker and see what that experience is like. Because it sounds like noticing things and observing things helps you bust through. But there's also a piece that's comforting because it's your family legacy and you're passing it on. Um, so it could be both. I mean, what do you think about that? Does that make sense to you? I, I think it does make sense uh, from the standpoint that um, – you know, th there is a level of comfort there. Uh, and But again, I think you, 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 one wants to hold up to the light the realities of what are my deepest values? What are the things I care most about? What what am I doing this for? Why, why am I, why am I, why am I doing this, this hike? Uh, what's, what's, what's my reason and rationale? Do I have a powerful enough reason, you know, to put on my, my, my hiking boots and, and do something that might be difficult and do something that is maybe not in my comfort zone. But if you value community, uh, in, in, in the case of hiking and you value fitness and you value challenge, then, um, it becomes kind of that you get to watch yourself improve. You get to watch yourself struggle. You get to watch yourself move closer to that which you value more. So um, if, you're, if your highest goal, if we, if we go back to the idea of your money history, and your highest goal is to achieve a level of financial security where you one can put their head on their pillow at night they they they're they're not at war with bill collectors or feeling overwhelmed or things like that 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 they are now living uh they've now made a change and busted out of their their money history that might have kept them spending being you know profligate spenders and uh 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 really unconscious spenders uh, or not responsible to the things that are their highest goals. You know, what happens when your work career uh, is over? 
uh, how do I live a level of security? What do, if I want to make sure that my kids are educated? What are those things that I really, really care about? So, but if there's a conflict in your money history, which leads to your money beliefs and behaviors, well, what can I change that will help me move closer to those, those, those values? And I think that, um, that understanding that, you know, what we learned growing up wasn't done, inflicted on us for a negative reason. It wasn't done purposefully to make us crazy or to make us bad spenders or make us, you know, get into debt. It, it, they're there because they were the lessons that were passed on and ex- experiences that our parents had or our grandparents had or our great grandparents had. And it all adds to that collective belief system. And until one looks at it and says, hey, there's a there's dissonance here between who, what I really care about and my be, and my behaviors. And I think that's where that understanding of I need to start making small changes. Uh, I, maybe I need to get a new pair of hiking boots or maybe I need to uh, maybe I need to think about uh, what I could change to make uh, to bring me closer to those goals. So whatever those, uh, whatever it is that your, your particular values are, um, do your beliefs match your behaviors? And, uh, and that's where the non-judgment comes in because we are really good at beating ourselves up. We are really good at telling us how horrible we are, uh, especially if we're in that mindset to, uh, to be very self-critical. But this is the idea of just let's 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 observe, let's notice, and see. Hey, we're 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 taking one step closer. Well, uh, and when you mention the values, I think that's so important. I mean, I know we're talking about money, but when I think about when you ask that, I've never thought. Well, why do I go on these hikes? What you know, what is the value? And you you labeled some of them. Um, but to get back to the money myth, so if values is a piece of that, but if somebody's listening now, like what advice would you give them, Michael? Where um, they could take a first step because values, that makes sense to me, but you're sitting out there listening to us and it's like, so how do you even start to break free of this myth? Um, how do you identify your values or is there a step that's before that? Uh, well, I, I think I think the first step is if you, uh, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Simon Sinek and his, his work of Start With Why. So you know, let, let's start with, you know, why do we get up and why do we get up in the morning? What is it that we really care about? Let's observe and, and, and acknowledge what our, our what we really, really want out of our lives. Uh, and I think if we do, if we start from the, you know, begin with the end in mind, we'll go mm-hmm. back to Stephen Covey and say, if we begin with that end in mind, what is, what do I want my life to look like? What do I, what do I care most about? Is it, you know, the biggest house on the block, or is it knowing that I can, you know, take care of my family or uh, make help make the world a better place or whatever those things are that, you know, are part of your, your heart and soul and blood and bones and whatever, it, it, it is to kind of get that on paper, kind of write those things down. And then take a look at where are you today? What are the things that where, where are where are the things that are not in alignment? What how is my if if I want security if I want financial security, uh, however one defines it, and then take a look at well where am I right now what you know what do I what do I earn what do I spend what do I have saved what I've invested what level of security do I have 
what do I need to, is there anything I need to change? What happens if I make the decision to, um, to start saving more? Well, what can I give up? What am I willing to give up uh, to help me attain that higher level of security? What's less important to me? And I hear this time and time again, you know, oh, I, I don't really, you know, I don't even think about what I spend. I just kind of spend. It becomes just a habit. So looking at our habits and saying, okay, well, I do this out of habit, not out of what I really care about. And I, I've heard this over so many years and so many people uh, telling me that once they become aware and they really think about it, they start making decisions that are uh, much better decisions for them because it, it allows them to say, hey, I can now – I can take this $30 or this $50 or this $100 and I can put this away because I don't need to spend it. I don't value that that. Uh, that purchase that much, I would much rather have financial security. Uh, I would much rather save money so that our family can uh, maybe go on a vacation or do something that really um, adds to my ha- my overall happiness. Um, so, so it starts it starts with the values, and I love that idea of you know why and what's important to me, and really getting to to these key points and then looking at how does my financial behavior support that or not support that and then, you know, eventually taking and making those changes. I think, if I'm correct, because I've, I've only, I'm only on chapter three uh, of your new book, uh, that's somewhat of what the Feel Rich Project is about, is being able to do that. And I think it's probably a really great resource for people. So time goes so quickly when we're chatting about these things, Michael, but can you tell listeners how to find out more about your book and also about your work? Um, because we've only touched the surface in terms of this. Well, um, the new book is available uh, for pre-order out on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and I think Books a Million. Uh, I also found, I also was sent a link of some place in, I think Taiwan and Sweden, <laughs> and, and somewhere else where I had to kind of Google the language to figure out what language it was in, um, uh, and uh, also on. Uh, my personal site, which is michaelfk.com, uh, can find out more about the book. And, and uh, my office uh, here in New Jersey is uh, financial-lifefocus.com. So people can find uh, – I'm always happy to answer questions or um, just offer uh, a, a bit of guidance if they have questions. And uh, to me, it's all, it's all about creating community. Uh, this was really a, a, a labor of love, and it really was the kind of the continuation of my first book, The Business of Life, which was written for financial advisors, was to kind of take some of this life planning work and, and help consumers uh, kind of take a look at where they are and what they care about and uh, what they can do, what, what, what do they care most about. What's, what would give them enough energy and enough enthusiasm and enough passion to want to make at least small incremental changes? Great. And I, I have to tell you, Michael's saying the truth, right? I, I found him uh, through his articles and then uh, just thought, oh, what the heck? He seems interesting. I'm going to reach out and chat. And certainly we've had some good conversations, including this one. So I want to thank you very much uh, for spending some time with me today, Michael, on Breaking Money Silence. I also want to thank everyone out there for listening to the podcast series. My name is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and I'm a wealth psychology expert and author. 
And as you can tell, I'm very dedicated to helping people talk about money matters and break money silence. If you're interested in more information about this podcast, my book, speaking, and other services, please visit my website at kbkwealthconnection.com. And remember, together we can break money silence for good.